Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Well, good morning, church. I'm really, really glad to be here today. There's so much happening in the life of our church that uh, just brings me so much joy. Uh, And to be invited to stand here with you today is such a privilege. It's such an honor for me. For everyone watching online today, uh, I'm especially glad that you are linked in from the comfort of your warm and dry home today. Uh, There are a lot of people who brave the rain to be here today, but we honor you. Uh, For everybody in Leland and New Bern, uh, we're really glad that you are together with us today. I hope uh, that today you have been so encouraged uh, in Leland by Rachel's leadership and Jennifer uh, and New Bern today. There's so many things happening in the life of our church one of which I know our community in Leland is so excited about. We are building a building in Leland uh, for a permanent home. We can celebrate that in Wilmington. Uh, I'm so excited about that because it's going to position our church, I believe, in such a beautiful way. We are in part three of a series called Created to become, and we talk about it a lot around our church this time of year, uh, that we pick one words, not New Year's resolutions. Our pastor Mike has been kind of beating this drum for quite a long time. Actually, this year he put some additional effort towards it and wrote an entire shared experience journal to help us walk through the process of being disciplined, of picking one thing to zone in on, and I love that today uh, I'm actually talking about what it looks like for us to be focused, and if you were here the last time that I spoke, I talked about rest, uh, and to now I'm talking about focus, and I'm convinced that they only asked me to talk about things that I'm terrible at. I'm horrible at rest, and I am not great at focus. I'm an idea guy. I actually email myself ideas all the time, and someone on my office team, Sarah, she helps me organize all my ideas and keeps me kind of aimed in the right direction. And the other day, she said over the phone, she said, Carson, you have 38 ideas that you've done nothing about. What are you gonna do about those things? It's like, oh, don't worry about it. We're just gonna keep adding to it. I love ideas. I love new things. And when you think about choosing one thing to focus on, I get immediately stressed because I wanna pick the best thing. But then I wanna pick thing number two, three, four, five, six, seven, and the list goes on. Uh, So I hope that today uh, you and I can learn together. And I've been so encouraged over the past couple of weeks considering what does it look like to have an accurate view of God and of ourself. When Mike was leading us through that uh, last week, I I felt especially convicted. Uh, Because if I'm being really honest with you, that impacts greatly how I live my life. I sometimes have a very low view of myself and sometimes I have a very low view of God. And yeah, I'm a pastor and I'm standing on a stage with a microphone and I'm telling you that not too long ago, I was on a call with my counselor and he looked me through the camera straight in the eyes and said, Carson, how big is God to you? Like really, the things that you're focused on right now, the things that you're stressed about right now, consider how big is God? God, what do you think God has for you? What do you think God has intended for you? What do you think God meant when he said that he wants to prosper you and to bless you and to encourage you in life? So I hope that today you and I can learn together. I believe there's something for you 
uh, in the text that we're going to be reading today. Uh, January 15, 2009, Flight 1549 took off from LaGuardia International Airport en route to Charlotte, North Carolina. Some of you know the story as it has been referred to as the miracle on the Hudson. Captain Sully, as he has been referred to, and his first officer, Jeff Skiles, uh, were piloting an Airbus aircraft. They come out of LaGuardia, and on their ascent up to their cruising altitude, they hit a flock of birds, disabling both engines on the plane. A complete moment of crisis. They thrusted forward in the air, estimated around 19 seconds. They were traveling 316 feet per second. And all of a sudden, they have no power. They have no ability to return to a runway like you and I would have preferred to return. If you know the end of the story, they land in the Hudson River and all 155 people on the plane walked away. And it's actually estimated uh, and kind of documented that by the time that the plane was actually evacuated uh, entirely onto the wings sitting in the Hudson River, there were already ferry boats from the New York Harbor there to retrieve every single person. And I hope that this kind of gets stuck in your mind because as I was looking at the story and as I was remembering some of the things that I've learned from it, Captain Sully, a few years ago, in honor of the 10-year anniversary of the, the water landing, as he refers to it, he says some things that I think we should all learn from because he was criticized very, very early on. If you've actually seen the movie, you see some of the story for not trying to return to a runway. He was actually, there was lots of conversations around lawsuits for his, in quotes, negligence for trying to land in the river as opposed to going to the runway. But when he recounts the memory and the decision that he made, he says this. He says, I set clear priorities. I chose to do only the highest priority items. I had the discipline to ignore everything that I did not have time to do as being only distractions and potential detriment to our performance. I love that. He says, I, I took every other option out of view to focus on the best option. And I think when you, when you if you go, you can, put, you can look it up on YouTube, it's fascinating. If you listen to the audio recording of the air traffic control tower operator to Captain Sully, you hear this very interesting dialogue. The air traffic controller is throwing out options. Runway one at LaGuardia is open. Runway four is now open at LaGuardia. Oh, you can turn right and you can go to Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. That is now available to you. And all you hear back from Captain Sully is negative. We're gonna be in the Hudson. Because he evaluated his options. And he said, this is the only one I have. For you and for me, it's 2023. It's a new year. We have endless options of what we can do. We have endless options as to who we can become. We have lots of ideas. Our social media feed fills our minds every single day. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. But my encouragement to you today is to begin to consider, in light of the current trajectory of your life, what story are you going to tell at the end of this year? Because you're going to tell a story. On December 24th of this coming year, when we gather together as a church on Christmas Eve, we're all gonna have a story that we get to tell about what happened in our life this year, about the things that we focused on 
this year. I don't know if you're aware of this, but actually uh, our, our world is currently traveling at 1.6 million miles an hour around the sun. We travel uh, 584 million miles every single year. If you do the math, because I'm interested in this. Uh, we've actually traveled 32 million miles thus far. We have around 348 to go. Consider this for a second. What are you gonna do for the next 348 million miles? What's the story gonna be on the other end of the journey? Is it gonna be a story of dedication? Is it gonna be a story of devotion? Is it gonna be a story of faithfulness to the, the promises of God? Is it going to be a story of redemption and healing? Is it gonna be a story of how you chose to lead your business or to lead your family or to lead your friends with compassion and with humility and with kindness? Is it? Because the, the challenge of today is that if we don't focus, that will not be our story. If we take the bait, if we get distracted by all the different things that are there in the world today, we will get pulled off course, and we run the risk of choosing the lesser option. If Captain Sully, research shows, if he would have chosen to go to Teterboro or back to LaGuardia, the story would not have ended in victory. It would not be a story that we wanted to talk about in 2023. And I just encourage you to think about your life 15 years from now, how different it could be if you said, I'm not gonna settle. I'm not just going to go for the first option. I'm gonna choose the best option because I believe God has a better way for me to live. I think there's so many different things that are coming at us uh, from the presence of the enemy and the presence of evil and the darkness that is alive in our world today. I think jealousy is rampant amongst our culture. We see it every day through our social media feed. We see what somebody else has and we wonder why we don't have it. Our culture is kind of governed by a sense of entitlement we, we think that we deserve anything and everything that our mind tells us that we deserve. A lot of us are governed by anger. The minute that we see something that we disagree with or someone that we disagree with, our lead emotion is just simply anger. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're just chronically afraid of what's coming around the corner of your life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you think that you've got it all figured out and the world would be a lot better if it was more like you, no matter what your pull is, it's worth considering. And the thing that I would encourage you with is the word that I just said out of those five that kind of made you sit up a little bit, that made you go, mm, I don't like that he's talking about that. You might be kind of on to what is the thing that you need to focus on this year. Trust your gut, trust your spirit inside of you. When it says, I, I don't know, I, I could be governed by jealousy, I might be a little bit entitled. My, my kids might feel like I'm always angry at them. I, I might always be afraid of the next assignment in school. No matter what it is, one, you're not alone in your struggle, but it's time for you to focus. And the things that combat focus, I know that have combated them in my life, are three ideas. One is our indifference, two is our distraction, and three is our isolation. We oftentimes, often, we are indifferent to the things that fill our life. And I have a theory as to why. Research would suggest that we make 35,000 decisions a day. 
By the time that you drive to work and by the time that you go get breakfast and go to lunch and then you come home and you put your kids to bed or you do that assignment or you work on that proposal or you look at your budget, you've made, estimated, around 35,000 decisions a day. I think this speaks into why we often struggle with indifference, where we find ourselves saying things like, whatever, it'll be fine. I'm not really worried about it. Because you're afraid if you engage, you one, won't have the energy to do what you need to do, or you won't have the means or the resources to bring a solution to the area of tension. We're also a chronically distracted culture. Uh, It's actually (laughs) well documented that we have an 8.25 second uh, attention span, which is why some of you have tuned out of my message at least 20 times since we started. But I'm gonna consider that because of the way that we're wired, not because of how I'm doing. You also can find that 11 to 14 year olds spend an average of nine hours a day looking at a screen. It goes to seven and a half hours a day if you're 15 to 18. A 61 year old friend of mine the other day at breakfast said, dude, I lost focus 10 years ago and I haven't found it since. We all struggle with something. And I, I, I put on my Instagram this week because I was just interested for the people that follow me, which is not very many, but like, what, what, are, what do they think about screen time? And this is like the, the summary of the results are this, uh, six hours, six hours and seven minutes. Someone, good friend of mine, Chris, he didn't even, I, I just told you who, I didn't say his last name, it's okay. I, I promised that if they gave me their screen time, I wouldn't tell you who it was. But uh, an unnamed person, he didn't even give me the number, he just said too much. Five hours and 45 minutes, I'm trying to get it down this is one of my favorites. He said, four hours, yikes. Because he went in and he didn't realize he was spending that much time on his phone every day. Seven hours and 48 minutes, seven hours and 27 minutes. The thing I would encourage you to do when you leave here today is maybe just open up your phone, go to your settings, type in screen time, and look at how much time in your day is being pulled away from your friends, is being pulled away from your family, Maybe you're struggling at work right now, you're struggling to focus, you're struggling to engage, and you think that it's everybody else in your office. Maybe just consider how much of, how much of their time, how much of your job actually you know, has your attention. We can't afford to live distracted. Because every time we live distracted, we divide up our ability to bear fruit in our life. And we remove God from being able to do something miraculous in our life. The statistics around isolation are really, really interesting to me. Evidently, according to a a Pew Research study, 63% of people making less than $50,000 a year would identify as lonely. 79% of young adults would say that they're lonely. This is the most connected generation on the planet. And 79% of them would say that they're lonely. 41% of people who are 66 and older would say that they're lonely, and 72% of people who are on Medicare would say that they're lonely. And why do I think that this is important? It's because I hear time and time again, I I spend a lot of time with college students who like to think outside of the box, they like to kind of push in on what theology is and who God is and what is the role of the church. And I hear it very consistently. Carson, what makes the church different? What's the role of the church. Why should I commit the hours and the minutes and the seconds and the, the, my brain and my heart to the church? And here's the big, big reason that I have, that I've come to, is because God isn't okay with our indifference. He wants to give us focus amid our distraction 
and he made us to do life together. God single-handedly has a solution to every pull that exists in our culture. And I think that when we kind of evaluate the decisions and the things that we're considering in our life, I, I consistently think about two years ago, about this time of the year, I was thinking about what was next for me. And like I said earlier, uh, I'm an idea guy. I like to think outside of the box. And I like two things specifically in life. Like if we were to have a conversation today over coffee or lunch and you were to say, Carson, like what, what kind of wakes you up in the morning with excitement and passion for the day? I would say this, outside of my family and being a personal devoted follower of Jesus, I would say two things. One, talking about the life, resurrection, and the way of Jesus, and talking about what does it look like to be a servant leader. And I am by no means a model leader. I've worked here for 10 years uh, at the church, and I have learned so much about leadership along the way. And if I'm being really honest with you, the majority of my time as a leader has been dealing with and processing how insecure in my leadership I really am. But the thing that has kind of woke me up a lot is how do I help leaders be more secure? How do I help leaders be more confident? And to make a really long story short, I signed up for a leadership school and the tuition was $5,000. And I had to put a $1,200 deposit down to get into the school which I actually had all the phone calls that I had about this pacing back and forth in the balcony in the Wilmington location. And I was like, all right, I think this is right. I think this is right. I put the deposit down. The next day I boarded a flight with my family to go on vacation. And the entire flight, I was like, I don't think this is right. I, I, I don't know. And, and I was like, is it just the money? I have to invest in myself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I came up with all these different things that I was trying to wrestle with. I'm like, is this the best option for me or am I settling? And the thing that I arrived at when I chose to bring God back into the conversation and to bring my decision into the light with some people that I know care about me and see the best in me, I decided to cancel it and get my money back because I had three days to do it. A month and a half later, a month and a half later to the day, I met with my boss at the time, Rollin, who's our pastor of worship, and he told me about a new opportunity that was going to be coming available here at the church, which then led me to where I am today. The reason I tell you that story is no matter where you are and considering what is next in your life, you have no idea what's around the corner. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God wants to do a new thing in your life because God is not indifferent towards you. So if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter one, uh, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. I love the church in Philippi because when you begin to think about the story of the church and the city of Philippi, you would actually find when you dig back in the history, it was a gift from the Caesar at the time to the retired military personnel of that day for their victories against Brutus and Cassius. And it's really interesting when you kind of pull apart the, the, the history of the Bible and where it kind of lines up with the timeline of the world, you begin to see a whole new layer of depth that is present in the truth and the reality of the Bible. And I love what Paul says, uh, Philippians chapter one, verse three, we're gonna put this on the screen for you. Uh, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you because they were a devoted and they were a committed people. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
And I love this particularly because if it really was a retired city of military personnel, they get focus. In that day and age especially, if you weren't focused as a soldier, if you weren't focused in the military, it would cost you your life. There was no forewarning, there was no technology, there was no way to know what the enemy was about to do. You had to always be prepared for what was coming next. And he's saying, continue to be focused. And actually, if you kind of sum up the whole entire letter of Philippians, you would find that he's encouraging them to be focused, but to really focus on their unity because they had an issue with that. But they were really, really good at being focused. And he's saying, if you continue to be focused, you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in your life, he is sure to complete it. I think that's such an invitation for us to consider. The work that's in our life right now, who started it? Was it, was it you? Was it your idea? Was it God's idea? Because don't settle. Because God has a better idea for you. And God is not and has never been indifferent towards your growth. He wants to empower it. And when you think about the word empower, I would encourage you to go a mile deep with it. Meaning, God doesn't want to just give you an idea. He wants to go with you in the midst of the idea. He wants to go with you as you focus. He wants to go with you as you grow. And I think that that could be a really, really hard thing to discern. I hear this oftentimes where it's like, okay, Carson, I get that I need to follow Jesus, but, but how? What does that tangibly mean? And if you go down in Philippians chapter one to verse 27, you'll see Paul give a very clear instruction. He says, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens. He didn't say, when convenient times come, live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or when things are going in your favor, live worthy to the gospel of Christ. He says, no, whatever happens in your life, stay consistent. And he goes on, then whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I love this, this invitation to stand firm. It connects directly with how indifferent and isolated and distracted our culture is today. If you're gonna live a devoted, if you're gonna live a fruitful, if you're gonna live a focused life, life you're going to have to stand firm, which is why I love the invitation of my own word. It's you deciding I'm gonna stand firm against all of the other options, against all of the other things, because you're picking the thing that God has for you right now. And then next year, you get to choose something new. But if you don't pick one thing, if you don't whittle it down to one primary idea, you run the risk of missing it. Because here's a, here's a belief that I have is with every distraction and every obstacle that you and I face, it brings with it an opportunity to deepen your faith. I think that we live in a culture that is afraid of obstacles, especially. When something gets hard, we want to bug out. We want to unplug. It's like, oh, that must not be for me because it's difficult and it's hard and it's complicated and I don't have all the answers. But I think the invitation of Paul to stand firm leads us in an entirely different direction. Every time that you have an opportunity to be distracted, every time that you have an obstacle coming your way, every time that you get a bill that you don't know how you can afford, every time you're presented with a challenge that you do not know how to overcome, that is a new opportunity in your life 
to choose faith over fear. And fear always comes for free. But seldom in life do we find something free that's worth having. Your faith will cost you something. I think the thing that it will cost you most is your comfort. Because transformation, it doesn't come easy. I think we would probably all agree if we all sat down right now and had a really big group conversation between Leland, Wilmington, and Newburn and everyone watching online. And we said, do you want to live different than you currently are? I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of us would say, yeah, I, I want to be different. I want to experience change and growth in my life. The thing that I would encourage you with is transformation is always fueled by three things. It's fueled by your willingness to be honest, your willingness to be humble, and your desire and willingness to be consistent. If you're not honest with yourself, you will never grow. If you're not humble and attentive to that you have a need to grow and to be focused, you will never change. And if you're not consistent, if you're not consistent, you will miss the best option for your life. I think about Captain Sully. He had 20,000 hours in the air leading up to the moment that he made that decision to land his plane in the Hudson. He was incredibly consistent that enabled him to find the best option. And I think when we think about what does it look like for us to journey through life, I know that a core tenet of our church is that we are made to do life together. And I love asking people this question, is where, does the, where is the first place in the Bible that we see the words not good? Where do we see things going awry? Where do we see something as, a, as a, in opposition to the way that it was intended? And in Genesis chapter two, verse 18, is where we find the first place in all the story of the Bible where the two words not good appear. And I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, to turn there really quick, because I think that there's so much in this one short, really quick verse. Genesis chapter two, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Leading us to the reality we cannot do life alone. We just can't do it. And I think when you think about the word helper, a lot of times people can feel offended by that, especially the women in the room can feel like you're, you're less than. But actually when you look back into the Hebrew and you find the Hebrew word for helper, you actually find that it's easer. And easer actually means it's, it's partnership. And suitable means on the same level when you look into the Hebrew texts. God has made us to be partnered up with each other. And I think this could be really, really hard for us to practice because we live in a hyper-individualized culture. And the way that I like, I, I want to kind of prove this to you, Leland and Newburn, I, I wish that I was there and I could do this uh, in your room. But when I think about this, it could be so incredibly easy for us to walk in church every Sunday and to sit down on the chair and to not know the people sitting beside us and to listen to whoever's talking, who's supposed to be on the stage right now, and kind of keep to ourselves and not grow at all because we stick to ourselves. We stick to our agenda. What's your name? Barbara. Barbara. Nice to meet you, Barbara. Barbara doesn't know what I'm struggling with. That would take vulnerability on my part. That would take a willingness to be known for Barbara to know what I'm struggling with. But it would be fair to say that Barbara can't help me until she knows. 
And I think that we have an idea in our culture that as long as we are around people, as long as we are reading people's feeds on Instagram or on Facebook, or as long as we're talking to them on the phone, that we're connected to people or that we're able to grow. But I love the the invitation of the word partner. We are called to be shouldered up, arm in arm with other people, helping us stay really incredibly focused so that we can stand firm living in the way of Jesus. So three questions that I would love to put in front of you before we leave today is this. One is where can you choose consistency? Where in your life can you choose to be incredibly consistent? Is that reading your Bible? Is that writing in a journal? Is that in allowing someone like Barbara to know what's going on in your life? Maybe it's just being consistent and being here and available to people in church. Where can you choose consistently? The second question I'd love to invite you to consider is who's gonna go with you? Who? Identify them by name. Who can help you focus? Who can help you stay consistently attentive to what the one thing, the best option that God has put in front of you to grow in this year? Who can help you? Because I think it could be easy for us to leave today without a plan, without someone that is going to be in it with us. And I don't want that for you. Because I know for me, I've grown the most when I bring someone in to what I'm trying to grow in. And then the third question is, is what can you say no to this year? I hate the word no. It's like my least favorite word in all of the the world. My team kind of can't stand it because when they tell me no, I'm like, huh, no, like, let's go. Like, let's, let's turn that no into a yes. But it's like, no. It often requires more faith to say no than it does yes, because you're leaving an option on the table. But the invitation of Jesus is allow him to be Lord and King and provider of your life, not you. Which means you have to forsake your agenda to live in his way and bear the fruit of his presence. And I think that we see this really beautifully illustrated in Exodus chapter 17. And I would encourage you to to jump there, Exodus 17, Verse eight, it's the story of a battle between the people of Israel and the Amalekites. And I, and I love the story for so many different reasons, but I hope you notice as we read it together that Moses said no to something that would have seemed obvious in order to stay really attentive to what God was asking him to do. Exodus 17, verse eight. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow. And I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua, he fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses, notice this part, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, I love this part, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua, in turn, overcame the Malachite army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. 
And Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of God, then the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And we don't have time to go into all the details here, but if you're concerned about how God is acting towards a particular group of people, I would encourage you to go to Exodus chapter 34 and to dig deeper into this. You actually find that God's war is with sin and he is committed to helping us live the life that we were intended to live. But I love what Moses did. He didn't do the thing that might have made the most sense. He didn't go down into the battle. He said, no, I'm going up on the hill and I'm trusting God to win the battle. I'm gonna do what God said, even though it doesn't make sense. But I'm also not gonna go alone. I'm taking Aaron and I'm taking her with me because I will need help being faithful. Because I will need help remembering that God truly is enough. When we see later in the story of Exodus, when God reveals his name and who he is, it's filled with this imagery of completeness that Yahweh, that creator God truly is enough. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia with some of our college students at a conference called Passion. And we're standing in the State Farm Arena the first night when we get there and I'm tired and it was raining a lot like it is today in Wilmington and I, I was wet and I had just kind of got in there at the last minute I got my seat and we started into worship and heard an incredible message and coming out of the message, we're being led by Carrie Job and Cody Carnes and if you're around the church world, you know who they are. You, if you know, you know kind of deal. Like they're, they're powerful leaders, they're fantastic songwriters and we're singing this song and the, the line that they're repeating over and over again is all we need is more of you. And looking towards heaven going, all, all we need is more of you. And I, I have a picture of what the view looked like to see 35,000 18 to 25 year olds at the loudest voice singing, God, all we need is more of you. And it was in that moment, and I've been haunted by it every moment since, that I felt like the Lord was saying, that's not true. You're not living like that's true. Carson, you want more money. You want a bigger house. You want more opportunities. You pride yourself on how many ideas you have. Your identity is on unsolid ground. I would encourage you this year to make that true. And every moment since then, I've been a little bit rattled by that because I want it to be true. I believe that it's best for my life if it's true. But it's incredibly hard to say no. It's incredibly hard to be focused. But I think that the reality that you and I need to come to grips with is that our life will never be better than it is with God. And if you've never started a walk with Jesus, I would just tell you that if you were to read the history book of my life, you would find ups and downs, twists and turns, but you would find that the moments that I've lived in deep connection with Jesus to be the best moments of my life, the most stable, the most devoted, the most dedicated moments in all of my life. And I just want us to consider, what are we counting on? Is it the list of things that we do? 
Is it the amount of ways that we change? Or is it allowing our soul to be satisfied and empowered by the Spirit of God? And I have a question that I wanna just give to you before we finish our time together today. Centering around, what does it look like for us to align our life in such a way that the story we get to tell at the end of this year is fundamentally different because we're living devoted to King Jesus. The question is this, is what if the story that you told of this year was that you didn't settle for all the options, but rather you chose, you intentionally chose to allow the spirit of the living God to satisfy and empower you to become the image bearer that God made you to be. What would be different about the story? Think about it. We have 548 million miles to go. If we choose to be attentive as opposed to indifferent, if we choose to be connected, connected to each other, not just proximate to each other, and if we choose to be laser focused on the thing that God has put in front of us, I'm confident that we will be telling a story of victory, just like the story that Captain Sully is now able to tell years later after he took all the distractions, he took all the options away, and he had the discipline to do the thing that was right in front of him. Jesus, thank you for this time together. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your grace and your understanding and your willingness, willingness to walk with us in every moment and to empower our growth. And God, as we end our time together, singing quite a declaration that even if it's not entirely true in our life, that we would sing with an aspiring faith to make it true. That we would begin to trust in your provision and your promise and in your devotion to us. God, I pray for a new level of faith to rise up in our church that is so focused on you and you alone. God, we love you. We say this in your name.